just want to share with you that what Christy had to say is really important for us. We are about people who are constantly recognizing that we're taking a next step. And that next step, if we are following Jesus, is into a deeper intimacy of knowledge of who Jesus is, our God, through Jesus. And it's also the opportunity as we follow to become like him. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing this fall is saying, what is this next step? How do we take this next step so that we will begin to know, follow, and become like Jesus? And one of the ways particularly that I want us to be concentrating and thinking about this as we individually do this and then as a community do this is the kind of culture that God is calling us in some ways to create, not just here, but within us everywhere we go. And so I want you to kind of note that, those little sheets that uh, Christy had referred to with, that kind of have that kind of pyramid that shows our, our, our mission and then our culture. Um, what I want to talk about these next seven weeks is about what the culture is that we are creating. And, and it is something that I think is very interesting because I was praying about and saying, God, what is the kind of culture that could be easily summed up and easily talked about and easily shared in such a way that it, it kind of expresses what Jesus' culture was? So when, you, when Jesus walked on this earth, what was it that, that just kind of drew people to him and what were some of those things obviously it was because the father was being revealed to him and through him but one of the things that I, I found that was really interesting is and, and as I was thinking about this I was um, on an annual basis uh, in the spring I, I am with some friends and I was talking to one of my friends who's a pastor in Menlo Park um, a friend John and he he was sharing with me some of the things that he had been researching in fact actually been thinking about writing about this topic in, in, in this culture and he said as he studied the, the life of Jesus and especially the early church he said there were three things that just stood out to him he said everyone's welcome nobody's perfect and anything's possible it just had a way. He said those, and he said those things, they resonated in my heart, and they just kind of captured what I had been thinking and praying about. And, and, and so in these next seven weeks, we're going to talk about these three common elements of, of the kind of culture that Jesus himself created, where everyone was welcome, and, and it was pretty clear nobody was perfect and anything was possible. And as we look at this, we're going to be noting the fact that when we talk about everyone's welcome, one of the first things that John tells us in, in chapter 1 of verse 14 is that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He showed up with both grace and truth, and people flocked to that. We're told in, in the verse just a little bit later, the, the law came through May, Moses, but grace and truth showed up in Jesus, and it, it drew people. And so the Gospels tell us over and over again that news about Jesus spread, and large crowds followed him. And then we'll do that for a couple of weeks. In the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about nobody's perfect. And if you think about this whole idea that nobody's perfect, um, one of the reasons if you, you look at Jesus, you see the kind of people that came to Jesus, but a lot of people that came to Jesus, the people who had their act together and, and were pretty proud about their act stood on the outside criticizing them, right? But the people who came to him really came and they sensed the welcoming presence of Jesus were people whose lives were somewhat a mess. They just didn't have their act together. And Jesus was okay with that. And it was very clear that they were sinners. And we're going to be talking about this. He doesn't say they were mistakers. So we'll talk a little bit about that. There is a difference. And then the, the last thing we're going to be talking about is this whole idea of anything's possible. Um, as I was praying about that, I, I, it occurred to me that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, after Paul makes all this list and he's talking about love, he says three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. 
And when people came into the presence and were welcomed into the presence of God and their lives were a mess and they weren't together, one of the things they recognized was that in this Jesus, anything was possible because he exuded faith and hope and love. And it was really clear as people came to him, there's no stronghold, there's nothing that Jesus couldn't handle in their life. And I kind of think, what if that was true here? What if people had this understanding as they came into my presence or your presence or where you go and where you work and where you live, they sense this sense of the welcomeness of God and they sense this, this idea that it's okay to show up not being perfect and they sense that not because of you but because of this God that you know. He drew faith and he gave you hope and you experienced love. Let's pray. Father, we'd ask that you would help us consider what it means this morning when you just you exuded this sense that people are welcome before you. Give us your wisdom, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1991, a business was started called Zappos. Anybody know what Zappos is? Okay, those of you are very fashionable. No, um, they, it, it's an online, uh, in fact, it's the world's largest online shoe store. And it grew exponentially and very quickly. And back actually in 2009, the CEO, Tony Shea, and their board director sold this to Amazon for $1.2 billion. That amazes me, all the shoes that are being bought. They sold it for $1.2 billion. And, and, and one of the things that Zappos is known for is their culture. And Tony Shea, who has written a book called Delivering Happiness, because he was this idea of delivering these goods that brought happiness to people's lives. So I don't know how long the happiness lasts, probably as long as the shoes lasted. But he says, our priority is company culture. And our belief is that if we get the culture right, most of the other stuff, such as delivering great customer service or building an enduring brand, or a business will happen as a natural byproduct of our culture. And if you think about it for a second, when a place, whether it's a business, a church, a school, a sports team, a family is permeated with values that they talk about, but it's more than talk, it's that they live, it's their culture, there is a sense where you can almost taste and feel and touch and smell those things when you're there. It becomes, in a sense, tangible. No one has to convince you through a mission statement or through words that this is the way this place is. You actually go there and it's the reality of it is kind of present. So let me, let me have you think for a second. I do this sometimes with the staff when I talk about culture. Think about this for a second. If you were to think about a place that was clean and it's a place filled with bright colors and it's filled with fun and kids and wannabe kids will travel to go there, to spend a day there. It's magical. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? It's where every Super Bowl winner, MVP, says they're going. It's what? Yeah. Because you just go there and you, you can feel, you see. It, it, it's, it's, the culture becomes something that you can almost taste. There's another one in, in, in our own area here, and it's a place full of energy, it's youthful, it's hip, it's fashionably pop, inexpensively expensive, designer clothes that you can afford. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? Target, yeah. 
How about, how about this one? It, it, their products are sleek and beautiful. They're, they come in a sexy packaging. In fact, the container is, is almost as, as good as the product. In fact, when you get the container, you don't necessarily want to throw it away because it just looks so good. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? Apple, right. There are just things that when you see it, experience, you hear about it, you go, I know what that is. And when Jesus lived, there was this sense that where he went and what he did, there was this deep sense that people experienced this fact that you were welcome. And it was okay to show up with what and who you are. And that there was something that Jesus had to offer that made some things possible you never dreamed could be. And that's what we find. But you know what's interesting is when Jesus died and resurrected and left this to his church, they had difficulty with one of the very first aspects of this culture. They had difficulty with the fact that everyone is welcome. In fact, if you go through Acts, you begins by saying, and Jesus leaves them this thing, he says, you're going to be witnesses and you're going to share this first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, but they had difficulty moving beyond even Judea. Samaria was okay because they were half Jews. Going to the ends of the earth caused them to stop. I just don't know if God welcomes those who are Gentiles. There's a hesitation to block. So what does it mean to say everyone's welcome? And what were they learning in Acts 10? I'm going to read this story to you in Acts 10. We won't read the whole thing, but a good part of it. And I want you to note as we go through here, this move of God seeking to bring people to a place where the people of Jesus would be the kind of welcoming, gracious people that Jesus himself was. So as we read this, look at Acts 10. It says, There was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. So I'm reading from the message because I think it, you can just flow with it. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God, was always helping people in need, and had the habit of prayer. One day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as the next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared hard, wondering what he was seeing. And then he said, what do you want, sir? I mean, remember, he's a, he's a soldier. He's not just a soldier. He's a commander. He's now before this bright, shining angel, having potentially, as it says here, a vision. And as he's seeing this, he, he's very polite. What do you want, sir? He knows who's in authority. The angel said, your prayers and your neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you're to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, the one everyone calls Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is down by the sea. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard, which is an interesting thing. He, he takes his soldiers, I mean, his, his servants. So he's got servants, and those servants are going to do whatever he has to say. But he also realizes, I need someone who is a Roman guard who is himself aligned with my heart. And this is a big step for this Roman centurion. And so he sends these three guys off. And as soon as the angel was gone, he sent these two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and then sent them off to Joppa. 
The next day, as the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. Okay, so, so this decision has happened, and, and these guys are on their way, and Peter's at his house of Simon the Tanner. He's out on the balcony, and it's, it's, in, it's in Joppa. Joppa's along the sea. It's probably beautiful. It's probably kind of warm. He's feeling this, you know, the, the humidity and the, and the sense that's coming off there. And, and, and he's out on the balcony to pray. It's about noon. Peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch. I just love how real this is. He just gets into some details. In fact, I'm going to, in a few weeks, on a Wednesday night, I'll be teaching some classes on gifts, specifically what we call sign gifts. And, and, and this is one of these things that seems to be occurring here. Peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch. While lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance, which is this interesting place. Just about when you're falling asleep, it's either when you're just about falling asleep or when you're waking up. So often we dream, or that's often when people have some kind of vision or your kind of things. He fell into a trance. He saw the skies open. Something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. And every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. And there's a purpose for that. Because the next thing you read is then a voice came. Go to it, Peter. Kill it and eat. Peter's a good Jew. Okay? Their dietary laws, the laws that they had set up, the requirements they had were set up in such a way that there were certain things they were not to eat specifically to, to, to separate them from those who didn't follow God. And there were things that I think God in those dietary laws caused them not to eat. Part of it was to keep them healthy, but it also was to point to the holiness of God. So it was a very important thing that you don't eat these kind of animals. And so Peter, as it tells us here, he goes, oh no, Lord, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. And the voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. In other words, with the coming of Jesus into the world, with his final cleansing sacrifice, which he had offered up, and with the command to take the gospel, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it, it, one of the things Jesus was making clear in his ministry was that those foods that had once been defiled and not to be eaten were lifted in this barrier to the Gentile world is removed. That's the teaching here. That's what's going on. That's what Peter is struggling with. And this happened, it says, three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. Three times. God is making a point. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. Kind of a coincidence, maybe? Or God in it? And they called in. You kind of stand up, see them kind of standing, calling into the house. They didn't have doorbells then, so they kind of called in. Asking if there was a Simon who's called Peter staying there. And Peter, as it says, lost in thought. But basically what was going on with Peter is he had these visions. He had them three times, and he's going, okay, what... What in the world? Can you ever, you know, can you imagine? Just get real about it for a second. We get, we get Bible stories out into a place that just, now, if you just go put yourself in his shoes, he's just going, oh man, well, you know, he was hungry and now he's so caught up going, what in the world does that mean? What are you saying to me, God? And Peter, apostle, sat there trying to figure out what it meant and the men sent by Corinthians showed up at the front door. They called in, they said, Peter, is he staying here? And Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them, so the spirit whispered to him. Isn't that funny? He's so deep in thought trying to understand that the Spirit has to say, wake up, buddy. 
There's some people calling you. It says, three men are knocking at the door looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to you. Peter's vision has two points that God's trying to get across here. The food laws are fulfilled and they've been ended in Jesus. You can look at Mark chapter 7, verse 19. Jesus himself even makes that statement, which is really amazing. He taught that, he even said that, and yet Peter, even after Jesus' death and resurrection, is still wrestling with this fact that God comes to his people the way he's defined his people, the way it's been defined traditionally. And he's wrestling with this. And the second thing is that the people, that those laws that God used, which intended to separate them in order that they might know the holiness of God, and I think be protected in health, are no longer effective. They're no longer to be applied. And I think as you read this, God's timing is perfect, isn't it? When you think about that. Someone has said one time, um, God's timing is perfect. Seldom early, but never late. You might be in that place. Come on, God. He's seldom early, but he's never late, folks. And notice while Peter is still pondering the meaning of this vision, trying to figure it out, three Gentiles come to the door, and and verse 16 says the vision about the unclean things happened three times. The Bible's very very particular in the use of numbers. There's a reason that he uses three and three. He sends... Three visions, and three times in that vision, and three men show up. And God uses numbers at times in our hearts and our lives to get our attention. He was doing the same thing here as they're at the standing at the door, knocking, right as Peter is processing it. And Peter is supposed to get the message. People that you had formerly regarded as common and unclean and separated from your fellowship are not to be viewed that way any longer. Go with these men, he says. Don't hesitate. We'll talk about why not hesitate a little bit later. Welcome them. Open your home to them. So continue reading in verse 21. Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? They said, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well known for his fair play, ask any Jew in this part of the country. He had a reputation that was known was commanded by a holy angel to get you and bring you to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. Take note of that. There was a message that needed to be delivered for something to happen in his heart. And Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. He welcomed them. We're almost done. The next morning, verse 23, the last half of it, He got up and went with them, and some of his friends from Joppa went along. A day later, they entered Caesarea. So they got to go to Caesarea. It's about a day's walk. Cornelius was expecting them and had his relative and close friends waiting with him. I I read that, and I go, that's amazing, isn't it? What faith. First of all, he takes these guys, and he gets one of the soldiers, and he says, here's what happened to me. And they're probably going, yeah, right, Cornelius. This is okay. We'll go. You're our captain. You're, You're the boss. And then he gets, he gets a whole group of his family and friends, and he says, this is what happened. And he, they don't have cell phones, folks. So he has no idea if they're on their way back. He just says, I'm going to take this at his word, and he invites them all into his home, and they're, they're waiting. 
And the minute Peter came through the door, Cornelius was up on his feet greeting him. And I like the way the message puts this. And then down on his face worshiping him. Peter pulled him up and said, none of that. I'm a man and only a man no different from you. Talking things over, they went in on into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come and Peter addressed them. Catch this. You know, I'm sure, that this is highly irregular. In fact, if you take the more little translation in NIV and others, it says, you know, for a, basically, that Jews don't associate. They don't join with. They don't enter homes. They don't eat with. They don't do any of those things with Gentiles. It's more than highly irregular. You didn't do it. And Jews... Just don't do this. Visit and relax with people of another race. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came. No questions asked. But now I'd like to know why you sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago at about this time, mid-afternoon, I was home praying. Suddenly there was a man right in front of me, flooding the room with light. And he said, Cornelius, your daily prayers and daily acts have brought you to God's attention. I want you to send to Joppa to get Simon, the one they call Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down by the sea, which is an interesting thing going here. God was giving something to Cornelius, right? But he was giving something to the church. He's giving something to us. He's giving something great to Peter. And so they come together. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down by the sea. So I did it. I sent for you, and you've been good enough to come. And now we're all here in God's presence, ready to listen to whatever the Lord Jesus put in your heart to tell us. And Peter fairly exploded with his good news. Catch this, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door's wide open. It's open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere and among everyone. Specifically, if you note these three verses, there's this graciously welcoming culture that God is highlighting to his church. Verse 20, the spirit whispered to Peter, three men are not going to get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. Don't hesitate. I've sent them. Verse 23, Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. Verse 34, Peter fairly exploded with the good news. It's God's truth. God plays no favor. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as he says, the door's open. Basically, here's the good news. Here's the kind of culture that God wants in your heart, in my heart, and in this place. Everyone's welcome. And this passage of Scripture is an incredibly important passage of Scripture in the Bible. It is one that ties together a thread from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament of who God really is. It's God who is gracious and welcoming. It's God who invites all people to him. And what I want to do is just in these few moments is just share with you a couple implications. And already we've made one of them pretty clear, but we'll make it just a little clearer. And then I'm going to share with you a few applications. So the implications are, are, are fairly simple. The the, the the New International Version says it this way. It's just a little, more, it's a little more literal. I now realize, in verse 34 and 35, Peter is saying, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favor to them, but accepts from every nation the one who fears and does what is right. So the very first thing, the very first point I want to make is that God welcomes anyone. 
My first thought as I was reading this is when I read about verse 35, the thing that really stuck out to me was those words. At first it was, you read in verse 15, he says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And I stopped and I thought, and as I continued to read through it, and especially as you read through like the New International Version or, or, or more a New American Standard Version, what you'll find as you go through this, verse 15 is really coupled with this idea that is much more literal in, in verse 28. It says this, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call, catch this, anyone common or unclean. And then I like what Peter says, because he gives himself a little too much credit here. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without any, raising any objections, which is, I go, right. It took three times in a vision, and then it takes the Holy Spirit to say, wake up, go down there, and don't hesitate. It's amazing how hard it is for us sometimes to get past the things that hold us back. The phrase in verse 28 is so powerful because the phrase any person or anyone in the Greek means just that. God is clear, no favorites. No one is unfit to hear the gospel. No one is too unclean for me to go into their house to share the gospel. No one is outside the bounds of God's grace. No one has too many offensive habits that I shouldn't get near them. In other words, Peter learned from his vision on the housetop in Joppa that God rules no one out of his favor on the basis of race or ethnic origins or mere cultural distinctives or physical distinctions. Common and unclean in that day meant rejected, despised, taboo, unholy. And think about it in your own heart. God says to all people, all people that you know, we are not to in any way treat them into that category. We're going to understand in a second that when he says accept, he doesn't mean that they're saviors. They needed to hear a message. Paul's point in verse 21, 28 is that no one, not one, our hearts should go out to every single person, whatever the color, whatever the ethnic origin, whatever the physical traits, whatever their cultural distinctions, whatever their lifestyle may be, we are called to be people who come with the welcoming grace of God. Don't write off anybody. Don't snub anyone. Don't check them out like the priest. You remember the priest and the um, Levite and the story of the Good Samaritan? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's giving a story to help them understand what it's going to be like. You don't just even, he was saying you don't even walk by that Samaritan, people that they thought were half Jews and they hated and they didn't want anything to do with. And not only that, God welcomes those who want him. And there's a question here that I think you have to think about for a second. The question is, and we don't know this often, do we? Is the person moving towards God or not? That's the real question. If you look again at verse 34 and 35, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears and does what is right, who fears and does what is right. Cornelius was moving towards God. God's heart was open, welcoming him. What I think is interesting, yet God still used Peter to lead Cornelius to a place where Peter can share with Cornelius the good news of forgiveness. Peter shares the truth about Jesus so that Cornelius can intimately know this living God. And what I think is interesting, if people are moving towards God and we're in a place where we are welcoming and gracious and, that, and we say, God, you love this person, you have a heart for them, we sometimes don't know who God is moving, but you know that God might be moving you like he did Peter to bring a message to that person to help them understand this loving God. 
And so Cornelius is moving toward God. He's devout. But here's what's interesting. Devoutness, religious sincerity, and all the good works in the world does not save. Only Jesus does. Cornelius still needed the gospel. So Luke is not trying to tell us in this book that devout God-fearing people who practice what's right as best they know are already saved without any need of the gospel. What Luke, and more importantly God, and I believe the Holy Spirit is seeking to say, is that people who want God, who are moving towards God, even with the slightest wish that, that this God might welcome them, are welcomed by him. And I love this. God has this incredible ability to meet every heart where it's at. And God can take a person who's just leaning into him with even the smallest faith, and you may not even see it. They may be working in the office where you work. They may be living in the neighborhood you're living. They may be a person that you just rub shoulders with. And God may be moving that person. And I encourage you to have in your heart the welcomeness of God and to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit moves people towards people who are moving towards him. And the question is, how willing are you to be moved towards God, towards those God is moving towards him? Because this is what we're about. Allowing God to use us to create a community where people feel the welcomeness of God in and through us everywhere we go. It means allowing God to move us to those who are moving toward him and seeking him. And will we allow God, through his Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to wake us up at times? You know, there's times where you're just kind of just so lost in your job or this or that. You might be in a trance, so to speak, and you're beginning the process, and God is saying, hey, guess what? Pay attention. And do you believe God is preparing someone to cross your path for the purpose of telling them about Jesus? Okay, so let's talk about application because this is the part that I wanted to spend a few minutes on to just get your attention around this because um, a graciously welcoming culture, I feel there will be a number of things, but three of them I want to highlight. One is a graciously welcoming, try and say that, graciously welcoming culture. There you go. What happens is when a person comes into the presence of a person like that or into the presence of a group of people like that, they feel wanted. They do. They just feel wanted. I remember Reuben David, when he spoke here in August, he said something that was really profound. He said, God goes where he's wanted. It's really pretty simple, but quite profound. Where God is welcomed, God shows up. You know that's no different for people. When people feel wanted, people who are searching and hungry, who have all the warts and failings and and they're outside of our box of what maybe we think is right, the nobody perfect kind of people come into the presence of someone and they feel their sense that they're wanted, they're accepted, they're welcomed, they begin to show up. Think of it, when people were with Jesus, what do you think they felt? Now, I I think about this with Peter. If you go back to verse 20, I think this is interesting because remember I said Peter said the the angel actually, had the the spirit whispered to him. It was the spirit of God whispered to him and said, don't hesitate. And you have to ask yourself, why would he hesitate? What what would cause him to hesitate? Well, we already talked about one of them. First, Peter was very clear that Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. I mean, that was as old as Moses. 
It was the law. It was years of tradition. I think about the fact that these are people who are coming to a place where no longer will the ritual foods that kept them separated, the sacrifices that were brought to the temple, the temple itself, the, the priests, there was a possibility that in just a few years, in a generation of time, they wouldn't have that. Can you imagine having 2,000 years of tradition and just saying, oh, okay, we're done with it. I mean, we know what it's like when we have things that we love, that we've been touched by God through, which they were touched, to be able to say, God, I'm going to put this aside for the sake of loving someone, for the sake of wanting them to feel wanted. I'll even actually use words that are culturally relevant to them, not because I'm trying to water anything down, but because I have a heart, because you have a heart, because you want the welcoming presence of Jesus to help them feel wanted so they don't have to kind of somehow redefine and understand what the word is you're using. And the second thing is Cornelius. So it's not only he's got this, um, this idea of Jews not associating with Gentiles and the law and the tradition and all that. The second thing is Cornelius wasn't just a Gentile. He was a Gentile soldier. And you say, so what's so big about that? Well, he was working for Rome, and they hated Rome because they were an occupied land. They'd, how many people liked their occupiers? And then the third thing, it wasn't just that he was a Gentile soldier employed by Rome. Cornelius was a centurion. Think about it. He was a commander of all these Gentile soldiers. And here's the real kicker. Cornelius was a member of the Italian Guard. You go, well, what's so big about the Italian Guard? You know why he was a member of the Italian Guard? Because Pilate's main home was in Caesarea. Pilate would go to Jerusalem in order to keep things calm there, and he'd do it at certain times a year, but he lived in Caesarea. He loved Caesarea. It was a great city to be in. It was Caesar's home, Caesarea. And if you're a political person and you are the one who has come and you are occupying the land and representing them as the political figure, you better believe there's going to be people who are going to want to take your life. And so if you want soldiers around you, you don't want conscripted ones. You don't want ones maybe from another nation. You want Italian guard. You want soldiers who have been trained in Rome, who grew up in Rome, who ble they bleed Rome. And Peter is having Cornelius come to him. He had an intellectual barrier to cross. He had an emotional one to cross because they were soldiers occupying the land. And he had another one, fear. It could be his life. He could be going before Pilate. It was pretty clear that Peter was one of the ringleaders of this sect of people called the Jews. I mean, the, the, the uh, followers of the way of Jesus. Peter hears his spirit. And he does something ridiculous. He doesn't hesitate because the spirit says, do not hesitate. Sometimes God calls us to do things that cross some of our intellectual barriers. And then we have the emotional barrier. And then we have this incredible barrier of fear. I'm going to look like a fool. I could actually lose my life, reputation, or whatever. And one of the first things that people feel, and what God had to do with Peter was to work in his will. And he had to have a heart that says, I want these kind of people in my life. It's not about my people. It's not about the people at church that do the things the way that I like to do it. 
because people show up when they feel wanted. And so I just ask you to think about it for a second. Do you want that? There's a second thing that I think is really important to people when they feel, um, they feel welcomed, they feel noticed. You know that? People feel noticed. I, I, I've thought about that. Have you ever kind of been in a crowd and still feel all alone? I've had that experience. Um, and, and I had this experience where I also um, had in the midst of a crowd where someone took interest in me and I feel noticed. I was in... Um, my first year of seventh grade at a new school called Plymouth Junior High. Anybody remember Plymouth Junior High? And it was really cool. A seventh grade, brand new school with a modern approach to education had what it's called the modular system. Anybody remember that? Mods? And, and, and so we had these mods that went 20 minutes in length. and they were, It was like college for seventh graders. I mean, the kind of freedom they gave you. And I, I remember thinking years later, who in the right mind thought this was a good idea? Because I had like three mods together, which was a whole hour, which you're supposed to study because they thought, you know, you'd use it for your study time. Did they know seventh graders? I had so much fun. We played cards. We played finger flick football. We did everything but study. And then my dad tells me that freshman year in the first couple of weeks, guess what? We're moving to Rockford, Illinois. And I'm going, this is the coolest school. I like it here. And I asked him, I said, Dad, do they even play hockey down there in the south and he said, yeah, which is half truth. Anyway, so my first Sunday, I come to this church, and I'm introduced to a couple kids, and they pay some special attention to me. In fact, one actually notices me. He even asked me over to his house. He asked me over to his house after school, and it was just this wonderful invitation in because he not just noticed me, and you could tell he wanted me to be there and, it was really cool because I would be in this, this junior high group of 60 kids in this church and I felt all alone. And it wasn't until a few years later that I found out that this kid named Todd had, not been asked, um, had actually been asked to do this intentionally, but it didn't, mean, didn't make a difference to me. And, and what was really kind of cool about this is just a f- few years ago, after one of the services, um, a couple came up and introduced themselves to me. They're attending Fusion, in fact, and, uh, and their names are Rob and Jessica Anderson, and she introduced herself to me. She said, you know, my dad is Todd Johnson. I don't even know if I've even told her this story. But here I am in my mid-40s. Um, okay, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> and to this day, that little intentional move marked my heart. Has marked my heart. So you feel wanted, you feel noticed, and the last thing I share with you, you feel loved. By that, you, people go out of their way to serve you. They look for ways to make you not just feel wanted and noticed, but to actually get involved in your life to help you. I was uh, thinking about this, and this story came to mind. I received an email the Monday following our block party. Remember our block party back in August 9th? And I remember this being sent to me, and I was really moved by it. Because we have residents here from Hammer Organization, and pretty often we have some people here. And, and if you know Hammers, Hammers is a, a, is a place for people who have severe disabilities, and residents need um, really 24-7 care, but they bring them to church. And we have one young man who brings another individual. And, and I got this note, and this note 
went on to say something uh, um, that showed that we, you, as a body, help this person feel not just wanted, but more than just noticed, but actually served. It reads this, Hi, Kevin, I meant to say thank you when I saw you for last week, when I saw you last week at the block party. The individual I'm supporting through hammers, um, so you can go to church on Sundays, um, has a parade diet. Pureed. Pureed? 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 There we go, I got it. And this means he cannot eat anything that is not blended to a mashed potato consistency. This means that he doesn't get to eat out very often, as you might imagine. So last week at the block party, your staff and some volunteers went out of their way to locate a blender somewhere in the church so that he could eat the food there. And they did not need to do that. I know that uh, this person I brought really appreciated it and so enjoyed it. So from this Hammer resident, myself, and the rest of the Hammer staff, I wanted to thank Wyzetta Free for the kindness you had shown in serving. And I just know he loves attending. That's just a simple act of serving someone and making them feel welcomed. And I just want to conclude with you. When people feel welcomed, they finally seem to go, I found a home. I found a place where I can fit, where I feel loved. I got this note. We were doing this during this series last week. On the wall, we had this, um, like if these walls could talk, we were trying to say how can we build for the future and yet continue to honor the past, to hear stories of how God has worked. And so we put these, if these walls could talk, kind of partitions up and people could put notes up. And I got a note because the person didn't feel they could actually put it up. And they wrote this. I had a moment of calm in my head and I got my words together better and I don't know if I'm brave enough to put this on the bulletin board. That's how people can feel so alone and and so afraid to expose themselves. But the person wrote me, but I wanted to share it. If these walls could talk, they would say, I'm home. This church has become family and welcomed my family when we first started coming a few years ago. We were embraced and welcomed with the love of Jesus I still don't understand. I'm being shown who he is through those who know my story and love me more in spite of it. I came from a dark place and still struggle. But inside these walls, I feel the struggle lesson. It's unreal how this church puts, pulls the lost closer, showing God's love and grace. It's still weird sometimes, but it's amazing too. I want to be here. I need to be here. In this congregation, I feel safe and ridiculously loved. My family is stronger because of Wyzetta Free. I'm claiming my redemption story because I've been shown a God of redemption stories. I don't know him like I want, but I'm learning. Learning he is bigger than my fears and doubts, my past and present, and I'm coming to know a God who, as I surrender, is bigger than my depression, my scars, and bigger than my addictions. I see a life worth living because strangers... I see a life worth living because strangers chose to love and share with me a God who lives. Inside these walls, people are changing and saving lives. I'm blessed to call this congregation my family and these walls my home.